Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Have you already been in the Word today? Certainly before we get out there into the world that God so loves, we want to be people who are in the Word of God. And so uh, I have been in several of Paul's letters this morning because uh, I have been praying for you. And so here are um, three brief prayers that I have already prayed for you this morning. One of them comes from Galatians chapter 6. Lord, let us not get tired of doing good. We will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And I have prayed for you this morning from Ephesians chapter 3. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I have prayed for you this morning from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I got up this morning uh, praying for you, and yes, surveying the headline news of the day, we will seek together to bring the mind of Christ to bear. Um, And as we consider that one verse from Galatians chapter 6, that we, you know, let us not grow tired of doing good. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I get it. But let us never grow tired and never grow weary of doing good. There are so many people who need help. People who've lost their homes to floods or fires or tornadoes or hurricanes. People who've lost their jobs. People who've lost relationships and friends over politics and disagreements about COVID of all things. People who've lost loved ones to the pandemic and myriad other causes of death. People who've lost hope. Let us be the people today who do not grow tired of doing good. Let us uh, advance the gospel always and in all ways. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'll be right back. I'm 
Joining us now, Nick Pitts. He is a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. Good morning, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Carmen. So great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. So we are fast approaching um, what has traditionally been celebrated on January the 6th as Epiphany, but January the 6th has taken on you know, a somewhat different meaning in our country and, and actually around the world in the last year. Last year on January the 6th, um, there was, I'm going to use the word insurrection, uh, there was an assault on the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. There is now a January 6th investigative commission underway. Um, tell me, just, you know, give us a little first-year anniversary look at January the 6th. Yeah, so we remember, obviously, there was the insurrection, there were the riots that happened on the Capitol um, that were really stemmed from uh, President Trump. Uh, now, granted, we we all have varying uh, opinions, I'm sure, about his influence on what happened. But what we do know, what we are learning um, from the January 6th commission that was initiated by Speaker Pelosi and the House of Representatives to get to the bottom of it, is approximately right now around 700 people have uh, been uh, been charged with some form of crime because of their actions on January 6th. It's turned into a political hot-button issue, as you might expect, with Republicans on the right. Um, some, I should say, Republicans on the right, thinking that this was um, this was um, uh, essentially just uh, it's all a show, and they're turning into what what are being affectionately referred to as political prisoners or MAGA martyrs for individuals that were simply exercising their right. They would say. And for some on the left, they're saying um, uh, they're essentially arguing this was an attack against democracy, that this was uh, this was one of the darkest days in American history. And we have to get to the bottom of it. And uh, the vast majority of us would say we're just um, we all see uh, the reality of what happened on January 6th up in D.C. We think it was atrocious. It was an abominable um, and it's not something that should be repeated. Yeah, it should not have happened in the first place, um, mm-hmm. and certainly it, it should not be repeated. So I think that when we when we talk about, you know, this first anniversary of January the 6th, I thought that talking about it a couple of days in advance so that people can give some thought to it before the day arrives, um, you know, I would like to see us kind of redeem or reclaim January the 6th. Mm-hmm. It is, after all, epiphany. Um, January the 6th was an important has been an important date on the calendar um, all along. It didn't just suddenly spring um, onto you know onto the onto the date um, last year. And so I don't know. Maybe some thoughts about reclaiming or redeeming Twelfth Night, January sixth. Yeah, you know, um, it's <laughs> it's Epiphany one. It's two. Usually a day that um, Americans begin to take down their Christmas trees and their Christmas decorations. Um, But when I was thinking about redeeming January 6th, uh, there's a couple of things that came to mind. One, there's the idea from Pliny the Younger, uh, just a a Greek author and thinker. He often said that, let the initiator of evil be the author for good. Um, It's this idea of what was once bad can be turned good with our actions. And so it's uh, I'm reminded of a modern day example is you have our Martin Luther King Day. 
Um, the mm. tragedy that befell Martin Luther King, just at the mere age of 39 years old, to end um, a remarkable life that created a more perfect union here in the U.S. Today, it's a federal holiday. Uh, we celebrate Martin Luther King as a federal holiday. And not only that, it's the only federal holiday that's dedicated to service, to do good for others. And that awful act of what happened to assassinate King has now initiated a day of service in which we seek to do good in our communities. What would it look like if we turned January 6th as, as a day? Because no one will ever be able to forget what happened on that day, the images that came forth from that day. But what would happen if we um, redeemed that day to not only just remember the, the attack of what happened on the Capitol with the rioters, but also as we as we did something, we redeemed it in such a way that we could do good to strengthen this democracy, republic democracy that we have. I think that would be a very uh, that would I think that would be a very beneficial and helpful uh, thing moving forward. Wow, that's really positive. That's a, um, a wonderful way to to think about redeeming a day. I'm wondering if you're listening right now, um, if there's maybe a, a way that you think about redeeming a day. Maybe you have a redeemed day in your life. Certainly for those of us who are in Christ, we each and every one of us have a, a day of redemption. We have, you know, that day upon which the uh, the good gift of God in Christ Jesus upon the cross became effective in our lives. That's, you know, that's my personal day of redemption. Um, maybe you actually marked that day down. You know that day. Maybe that's a, a way of thinking about, all right, how do we redeem a day? I guess I'm thinking, um, you know, Nick, after you've shared that, I'm thinking about the way Good Friday sure does seem like the most awful day in human history. Horrible, horrible, horrible day until um, Easter Sunday. And then we recognize the importance of Good Friday in relationship to um, our redemption. And so um, let's give that some thought today. Uh, we're going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, uh, Nick and I are going to have a conversation about this question. When when, if ever, when, if ever, is it appropriate to use force or violence as a Christian against the government? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, it's Tuesday, so I thought a fun game of hot potato would be good. Uh, Nick, good morning again. <laughs> yeah, hot potato. I'm glad I had, uh, I had uh, some mashed potatoes last night, and hopefully, I won't make a mess of this. It's a it, it's a new year, so um, so I thought you know it's taste and see Tuesday. We are seeking to taste and see that the Lord is good, and who? I mean, I don't know who thought asking Americans this question, you know, at this time of year was a good idea, but here we go. Um, so the question is this. When, if ever, is violence against the government justified? And now, granted, this question is asked of Americans in general. We are going to seek this morning to have this conversation also about the question of, for Christians, when is violence against government, any government, justified? Um, and so, Nick, tell us a little bit about um, the poll that we're talking about, and then you and I will seek to have a conversation about bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the question of when, if it is ever appropriate to act in violent ways against the government as a Christian. 
Yeah, so there was a new uh, Washington Post University of Maryland survey that came out that just was kind of a, alarming to in one degree, but also a continuation of a thread we've been seeing for probably the past five to 10 years. Um, to get to the poll today, before we get into the historical context over the past 10 years, the trend that we're seeing, the poll today, the Washington Post poll said a third of Americans say violence against government is sometimes justified. So you heard me right. A third of Americans, when they broke that down, um, uh, when they broke that down by uh, a political party, it was 40 percent of Republicans agreed it could sometimes be justified for citizens to take violent action against the government. Twenty three percent of Democrats said that and 41 percent of independents said that. And so you're seeing those are pretty alar- uh, alarming numbers, um, 40%, uh, 23% among Democrats, 41% among independents. It's almost half of Americans say violence against the government is sometimes justified. Well, this is part of a trend that we're seeing that really, uh, we don't know if it initiated on college campuses, but we do know that there was an illuminating poll around five or six years ago on college campuses that talked about how violence is justified to silence free, to silence hate speech. Um, And so there was around, it was around that same number, around 40% of college students. Now, I'm I'm young, but I'm not uh, I'm not that old to remember when um, there were we were up in arms about the idea of individuals utilizing violence to tamp down hate speech. This is the U.S. After all, we have gotten to this place because, as Alexa de Tocqueville said, we've gotten to this place because we've been able to sit down with one another and not resort to violence to um, bring about resolution to our conflicts. And so now, the idea that Violence is at the top of the mind of Americans when it comes to actions against the federal government and hate speech in general, just looking at it from a trend perspective. I'm concerned by how quickly some are wanting to resort or thinking about resorting to violence, because if you're thinking about it more often than not, it becomes an actuality. Yeah, I think that when we start this conversation, um, as Americans, we have, uh, you know, we have a difficult history to deal with um, because many of the people who participated in what we would call the American Revolution understood themselves to be Christians. Um, we think about the United States of America as having been formed and founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and yet we certainly uh, did not passively um submit to a form of governance in in that, you know, in that point of time, uh, the King of England, um, we did not passively submit. We we took arms. We took up arms in violence against others and uh, against a government. And so I think that this conversation is very, very complicated for Christians who are also Americans. Um, but I think that we also, as Christians, need to understand that there are a variety of views um, within Christianity on the topics of violence and war, um, resistance, pacifism, just war, um, holy war. I mean, there's just right. There's a there are a number of conversations that are important to have here. And I think that, you know, the best we can do this morning Nick is is basically like tee it up for consideration and conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not simple, and I don't want 
any of us to oversimplify it. Um, Jesus certainly uh, did what was necessary for our salvation and was really, really clear that he did not come to, uh, you know, to become the king in any worldly sense. Uh, yes. That you know that the kingdom, that the king and the kingdom who we worship is different than any uh, you know any form of national or state governance here on terra firma. So it's just it, it's a complicated issue, for sure. Yeah, you, yeah, you're gonna have there's really there's at least two sides of the issue. So broad characterization on one side of the issue, you're going to have individuals that are going to point to the idea that Jesus came to bring peace. That they're going to point to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Roman author- or where the authorities are coming to arrest Jesus, and um, and essentially Peter chops the ear off someone, and then Jesus gives his discursive of laying down the sword. There's there's going to be the sides that say there's a new way, there's a better way. Um, there's violence is not the way. They're probably going to quote Desmond Tutu that says, "Don't raise your voice and prove your argument." Right. Um, Those that's going to be one side of the issue. The other side of the issue is going to point to instances in Luke 22, talking about the protection of your family, which is reiterated in First Timothy six. And there's no explicit calls to violence, but there is it it appears as though descriptive ideas that um, modern day American might be able to cling on to to uh, to uh, justify the force of violence when it comes to the protection of the family. And in this instance, protection of the family against the government. And so there's there's going to be both sides of those issues. Uh, I am, like you've alluded to very well, uh, There's you're, you're going to hear kind of in, in that, that side justifying the use of violence, the extreme or the outlier examples of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Uh, this idea that he coming to the realization that it would be for the greater good to end, uh, to, to end life of Hitler. Uh, in that instance, I think what's most important here is this is an opportunity for us to exercise just being uh, attentive and to listen quickly to the other side and really try to get to the root of the issue of why individuals uh, are beginning to contemplate the usage of violence when it comes to the government and then seek just to be a peacemaker. At the end of the day, we uh, blessed are those who make peace. Um, Mm -hmm. And we want to be those individuals that make peace and don't try to justify violence in order to get there. I think that um, we are in for a season of very deep and complicated conversations as Christians in the United States of America. Um, And I think that we have to be a thinking people. And so thank you for helping us think through at least the beginning of this conversation. I feel confident it's one we're going to return to. over and over and over again. Um, Nick, as always, uh, great, great to be with you. Thank you um, so much for joining us. Blessings on you and your family in this new year. Uh, So great to be with you, Carmen. Y'all have a great day. Thanks. You too. That's Nick Pitts. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement or on Twitter at JNickPitts. We'll be right back. All right, uh, 2021 was actually, um, by many accounts, the year of the coup. Um, there were there were coup d'etats uh, around the world last year, and so when we have this conversation um, about use of violence, um, part of what we need to recognize uh, is 
not just what's happening here in the United States, but this uh, this trend globally of political turmoil and um, people, you know, rising up in some ways and in some circumstances um, on behalf of democracy and in other places and cases uh, quite the reverse. And so um, where we see military coup d'etats in particular or uh, the subjugation of a people um, by, let's say, communist China or Russia standing amassed uh, on the Ukraine border right now, threatening, threatening to overtake another nation. The reason that I'm tilling the soil of this conversation is because I don't just think that 2021 was a year of the coup around the world. Um, I I think there is a spirit of coup d'etat uh, and maybe even some spirit of that here in the United States. And we have to talk about it as Christians. Um, so <clears throat> so as not to be uh, caught unawares. Luke Moon joins us next. We're going to turn to some global headlines. Yeah, including those where, you know, nations rise up against nations, which Jesus told us to expect. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When your team dishes out disrespect or blatantly disobeys your rules, there's conflict coming. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When we're in the middle of a standoff with a teen and the emotions are raging, it's hard to keep your cool. Yet despite the turmoil, conflict can actually strengthen your relationship. Here's some rules to keep in mind for having a good, healthy fight. First, focus on the big picture. This argument can serve a greater purpose. Second, try to learn something about yourself instead of just lecturing your kid. So listen carefully. And third, keep the conversation two-way. In the coming year, plan in advance to have healthy arguments. You'll be surprised how everyone wins. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. All right, joining us now, Luke Moon. He works with an organization called the Philos Project. Uh, full disclosure, I'm on their advisory board, and I love them. Uh, he also works with Providence Magazine. And you can um, you can follow him on Twitter at Luke Moon One. Luke, welcome back. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you too. Good morning. Good Good morning. So, yeah. So January third, twenty twenty, is you know only two years ago now. Uh, But American memories are short uh, about things, and uh, other people around the world have long memories about things. So this morning we're hearing that there was an attempted drone strike on Americans based in Iraq uh, on the anniversary of, or at least in acknowledging the anniversary of Americans, uh, the American drone strike that targeted and killed, another word would be assassinated, an Iranian general named Qasem Soleimani uh, two years ago yesterday. Um, Maybe just talk briefly, reflect with us, you know, from a cultural perspective on how long the memories are of people in the Middle East? Well, they, they are long. I, I remember years and years ago, I was I was had an internship at the United Nations, and I was sitting with one of the leaders of of the Iran delegation, 
And he said to me, what is a, he says, what does a 200 uh, year organ, old nation have to say to a 5,000 year old nation? Right. <laughs> which was a, which was a way to say like, we've been around a long time. Like you, you pups, you small young nation of America, like, you know, you, you got a lot to learn kind of thing. Right. So it's, I mean, that's, that's obviously, you know, general hyperbolic, but I think you can see there that this is, I mean, two years is, is nothing. I mean, the thing is, is that Soleimani was a really, really bad guy. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the guys coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, both in body bags and missing limbs, can can uh, attribute, well, not the ones in body bags, but the guys missing limbs, can attribute their loss of limbs to Soleimani. Because so much of the the shape charges, the, I, the IEDs, were were designed and made in Iran and uh, and and the training was done in Iran and they were done under the watchful eye of Soleimani and it was it was a good thing that the Trump administration took him out but it's one of those things that you know it's the the anniversary will will be remembered probably every year uh, for a long time as long as the current um, regime in Iran holds sway. Let's talk, uh, let's continue, um, at least on the theme of Iran, um, because they have influence in a country called Yemen. Um, Yemen, you know, we talked about Yemen a lot a couple of years ago, but then, you know, we all got distracted by so many other things. Um, Talk with us about what's, why Yemen is in the headlines today. Well, I, you know, I think uh, yeah. So the, the the big news out of Yemen was that the Houthis, who are who was, un, you know, under the Trump administration, was a designated terrorist organization, and that that was that was changed under uh, the Biden administration. But they they have uh, they they seized the ship. Uh, the the Saudis are are accusing it, it was it was a UAE flagged ship um, that was was taken. Uh, the UAE is saying it was it was piracy. It was medical supplies intended for a hospital. Houthis are saying no. It was it was a weapons ship delivering weapons to to, uh, to the other side of the civil war, right? It's uh, when you, the thing. One of the big things, the big pictures of the Middle East, you always have to keep in mind is there is an ongoing civil war between uh, with within Islam within political Islam particularly uh, and and between the Sunnis and the Shia between I- Iran and its proxies or, or you know coalition you could say and and Saudi Arabia and its coalition uh, and and that is why the you know this civil war has been raging for six years is because both of them, both the Iranians and the Saudis are using uh, the, the, the Yemen is the place where there's there's actually a hot war between the two between the two sides, um, and that's been playing out now for for over six years, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon because it's it's really a you know that neither side has a strong upper hand, uh, and. And the the international community's response, you know, to, to civil war 
is, you know, let's try and, you know, prevent weapons from flowing in. That's, that's just really hard. Um, and, and so, and it also creates somewhat of a stalemate, which I think prolongs the, the conflict. And that's what's happening here. So I think reminding us um, of the ongoing civil war in political Islam and the major players, Iran versus Saudi Arabia, is always uh, helpful. It helps us to take a step back and understand what, you know, what the context of the conversation is, particularly in a place like Yemen. There are other places around the world where um, things take place because at a much larger level or a much deeper level, this conflict between Sunni and Shia Islam is really what's at play. That's the theological um, war going on underneath whatever the current um, surface level war that's taking place or, you know, as you describe it, the hot war on the surface in Yemen. Um, let's uh, let's pivot to um, to what's going on in in Israel. I read a headline um, today about an ongoing conversation about uh, changing what's happening at the Western Wall, just in terms of who has access to uh, praying where and when. Um, that's an ongoing conversation. But the Jerusalem Post was hacked, and it was hacked by Iran. So even though we're pivoting to um, to Israel, we're sticking with Iran as the actor here. W- what's going on there? Well, that was also, I mean, it, it was also uh, kind of the response related to Soleimani. I mean, they did it the same day as, as on the anniversary of Soleimani. Uh, and it was hacked, uh, you know, as, you know, the the, the relationship with, between Israel and Iran is, is also not great, right? And, you know, because Iran keeps saying, like, you know, we're going to destroy you and run you into the sea and, you know, blow you up and all that sort of stuff, right? So that doesn't help, but See, the, the thing is, is that Israel has been uh, undermining the the nuclear program of Iran for basically for a really long time. I mean, going back to the this 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 bio, this uh, software virus that jacked up the, the centrifuges that delayed the nuclear program by probably two years just because it, it basically destroyed all the equipment from the inside um, and. And so it, and you know, if you're a nuclear scientist uh, with any connection to Iran, you have a, you have a, um, your life expectancy shrinks significantly um, because you'll likely be bombed or shot or, or taken out somehow. Uh, and and so this kind of like cyber attacks between Iran and Israel is is one of those places where it's. It's ongoing, uh, and it's it it can get you know it has it has obviously real consequences, and I mean it takes a lot to to hack a, a like a proper big organization, uh, and you know it was Iran flexing its muscle mm-hmm. and saying you know we can do this too, uh, and and uh, I mean there's a lot of com- countries in the world that that invest in in cyber security and cyber warfare and mm-hmm. um and and you know these countries are not are are, are are include that as well and and use that tool to their advantage when they can so yeah a good reminder that um we live in days in which you need to take a deep breath 
and you need to pause when you see something and you need to ask yourself, hmm, um, do I actually think that that is that organization or that nation making that statement or issuing that uh, tweet or whatever else you're seeing with your eyes and pausing and withholding judgment long enough to find out whether or not, um, in fact, it's been hacked or it's been manipulated or it's been adjusted. So those are going to be the things that I think increasingly are a part of the conversation about trusting what we see and trusting what is reported on, um, because increasingly there will be deep fakes. Well, at, even worse, uh, yeah, yeah. Even, even worse, they're going to they're able to do that with 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 video or not, you know, right. where they you the know, deep pretend fakes. like, yeah, the, yeah, the deep fakes are like, you know, where where some politician is supposedly saying something, you know, that they aren't saying or or put in a in in a in a in a scenario by which it makes them look bad and because we live in a in a world where 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 perception is sometimes more important than reality it's it's it could lead to some really um terrible consequences if it's if it's if it if it has kind of that internet if there's already an a bent towards conflict and already like the, the sides are prepared to go to war and that's there's right. a deep fake type, type situation, it could really escalate, escalate significantly. I mean, you can, I mean, it happens regularly uh, on the Temple Mount. There's, there's tweets that go out saying that uh, Israel just uh, bombed uh, Al-Aqsa and, and it goes out all over the, the, the Middle East and suddenly, you know, Riots are happening and, you know, stones are being thrown and and it's, you know, it's all just made up. Mm. All right. Luke and I are going to take we're going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Sudan. You know, this is the what in the world is going on in the world segment of our conversation here on Mornings with Carmen. And so get your globe out, look up Sudan, see what see where in the world it is because that's going to be the topic of our next conversation. We'll be right back. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. All right. Um, in Sudan, there have been at least two long, prolonged uh, civil wars from 1955 to 1972, 1983 to 2005. Um, internal wars as well. Um uh, against various factions, uh, I mean, for the last decade. And so, um, Luke, what is going on in Sudan, and why should we care? Well, Sudan's huge. I mean, it, like you said, there, there's there been a, a a long conflict in Sudan o- over over the years. I mean, that's where the, the Darfur genocide was taking place, the civil war between northern and south Sudan. I mean, Sudan's a... You know, one of those, one of the few countries uh, in the in Africa that that kind of straddles uh, both the, you know, kind of the Sahara Desert, right? Because north of the Sahara Desert, you have different peoples. They they're they're more Arab looking. Uh, they they're Berbers. They're you know they're various different tribal peoples, but but also more more arab looking and and in the in the south you have they look like more uh black africans and so sudan's one of those countries that's where 
it straddles that. And so you get this, a lot of the conflicts have been between those tribal groups, between those kind of cultural groups that as well. Um, anyways, there was a, you know, the leader that was in charge for a long time. Uh, he was a really bad guy. Uh, Bashir was his name and, and he, he was fomenting a lot of terrorism around the world. It was a safe haven for Al Qaeda and, and other groups that needed a place to practice their terrorism, I guess. And, uh, and uh, he ended up uh, getting pushed out. And there was a, there was a kind of a, you know, it looked like democracy was and and kind of, you know, pro-democracy forces were going to, were going to kind of win. And Sudan was going to, I'll come into the international community and they signed the Abraham Accords and, you know, we're joining peace with Israel and all that stuff. And, uh, and then there was a military coup, you know, like a, a couple months ago. And that was unfortunate. Uh, and then the guy who was kicked out, he ended up being able to go back in. Uh, and then yesterday or the day before he, he resigned uh, and, and uh, didn't like, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, things were not moving along in the direction uh there was there's kind of a uh there's there the path forward is is kind of has a fork and neither side wants to give an inch as is you know political places around the world um including america uh and and it's it's at this state where there isn't really leadership in the country uh, the problem with Sudan is it is, like I said, it's huge. It's a, it can be a safe haven for uh, terrorist organizations. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a place where, um, you know, I think there is it's it's going to be in the international arena always just because of where it's located uh, in in the world. So I'm looking at a map of Sudan and then South Sudan and I'm looking at um, bordering countries, including the Red Sea, Egypt, Libya, Chad, um, the Central African um, Republic, Congo, the DRC, uh, Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, if I'm looking at um, South Sudan, Eritrea. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. is a, this is a country with a lot of borders. And I'm guessing, Luke, that when we talk about people groups in Africa, at least my experience has been, sometimes these borders, these international borders that have been drawn actually, um, you know, run through the middle of a people group and it, or put people groups together inside of national borders that, you know, those people groups don't really recognize or is, is that part of what's going on here, that these are unnatural borders drawn through people groups and in some places putting people groups together in ways that aren't natural for them? Yeah, well, that's that's most of the map of of the world, right, particularly, uh, you know, in, in Africa, also in, you know, in the Middle East. Uh, that was where, you know, the 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 lines were drawn you know, in, in, in offices and map rooms, uh, in Europe mostly. Um, and yeah, I mean, these places are, are very tribal. Uh, that is the nature of, I mean, I mean, like basically both Africa and the near East the middle East are all tribal regions and they do divide along those lines that don't all, I mean, they're, 
the borders often go through them. I mean, but mm-hmm. the, the the conflict between northern and south southern Sudan was largely because the you know there is a there's a long rather nasty history between the Arab peoples mm-hmm. and the Black African peoples. So, I mean, there was this the slavery movement uh, was was uh, you know was between it, taking people yeah initiated from, and robust uh, in this part of the world yes. yeah and there was yeah. There, i mean there's some quite um you know books on on the history of slavery under under islam and 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 that was i mean it was it was a it was quite the industry right and and that that kind of racism you could almost call it um was 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 uh, a big part of the conflict there, and same with same with Darfur. Darfur was was I mean it's it's uh, black Africans and the, and they were they were kind of treated as second class peoples and and used and abused and and harassed and you know their farmland was taken and and you know it was you know there's there comes a point in all of these places um, where you know kind of people get fed up with being treated poorly and they're like enough is enough right um, absolutely you know, and, and sudan's one of them and yeah. you know it it again like most you know it's it's because it is it is in africa it gets a lot less play in in the media um in you know in general news most people have have no idea you know even where sudan is or right or so i'm going to encourage Right. I'm going to encourage people to uh, to take a look today. It's not hard to Google it and discover uh, uh, things about it. Let's be praying the news, praying the headlines um, on this front. Luke, um, as we look forward into 22, I'm sure 2022, we're going to have conversations about Russia, China, North Korea, uh, Iran, more conversations about the Middle East, um, global anti-Semitism. I just feel confident you and I are going to have a lot of talk, lot to talk about in the year ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be Blessings, a lot. brother. Blessings, brother. Thank you. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. we got another hour coming up next. In that hour, uh, we're going to be talking about some medical headlines, and we're also going to be talking with our friend Trillia Newbel. Um, I'm going to be asking this question. Um, what's your favorite food? Hmm, what's your favorite flower? Yep, all kinds of good stuff. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.